And I think if you had asked the Westerns, the divines, so what do those words mean? And I'm not sure that the divines would want to answer that question. Mm. You know, there is a limit to our exploration of God. You're listening to 1A, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church, episode 32. We're continuing our third series called Confessional Life, where Derek and I will discuss some of the basics of the Westminster Confession of Faith and what it means to live it out. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Pres. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time listening to us, we want to welcome you. We appreciate you taking the time to check us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can visit our webpage, which is firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. To find out how to contact us or how to subscribe, listen to the end of the show. If you do find this ministry useful, then subscribe using the application of your choice. And every Monday, a new episode will be waiting for you. Also, while you're there, leave us some feedback. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. In this episode, Derek and I wrap up our discussion on the second chapter of the Confession. You get to hear how the Doctrine of the Trinity reveals idols in my own heart, what the Trinity reveals about the social nature of God, how we deal with the lack of community in our own lives, and in our Orthodox or Not segment, we talk about the mysteriousness of God. Now, let's get to our show. This chapter is also the chapter that touches on the Trinity itself. And I find that the Trinity, it it reveals to me a couple of things personally. One, that it's impossible for me in my finite mind to understand the infinite realities of God. And that's really difficult for me. Um... And I think sometimes I want to make my own curiosity an idol. Like I need to have my curiosity perfectly met and perfectly understand how all of these things come together. And so the Trinity reveals that to me, that I I can't understand these things. um, And I've got to be okay saying, Scripture tells me to go this far with what is going on and go no further. And I've just got to go that far. Um Secondly, it reveals to me that oftentimes I have a fear that I can't answer people well enough. I have a fear of saying, I don't know sometimes. And the, the Trinity pushes me where people ask questions about how some of these things together come together. And I have to be able to say, I, I don't know exactly how these things come together. I know scripture tells me this, that they are one and tells me that there are three persons, um, Exactly how that works out, I'm not sure. So when you have someone in front of you, either a congregation member or a student who is struggling with issues here, have you found anything to be particularly helpful? Well, um, let me back up one step to get to where you want me to go here. Um, First of all, the Westminster Confession statement on the Trinity is probably one of the simplest in terms of the number of words in 
uh, in any confession. I mean, this is a very short statement on the doctrine of the Trinity, and it doesn't say everything that could have been said on the doctrine of the Trinity. And it's using fairly standard language from uh, from Nicaea uh, that God is in God has one is one in substance, power, and eternity, mm. but three in persons. So one substance or essence, mm. but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God is both three and one simultaneously, three in one. Mm. Um, but then it goes on uh, to say that each person, each distinction within the unity of the Godhead has a particular property. Mm. The Father is unbegotten, the Son is begotten, and the Spirit proceeds. Mm. You know, and again, that standard Nicene Creed, Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed language, right? So it's mm. 325, 385. Um, and I think if you had asked the Westerns of Divines, so what do those words mean, that, that God is unbegotten? the Son is begotten and the Holy Spirit proceeds. And I'm not sure that the divines would want to answer that question, mm. but that such a distinction um, exists. Now, one of the consequences of the doctrine of the Trinity is that God exists in a, a fellowship of plurality, within himself. Mm. There is a social dimension to the Trinity. Mm. There are studies of the Trinity today that want to say that that's all that the Trinity should be, mm -hmm. a, a, so, a social thing. And, and these, these categorizations of distinctive properties is unhelpful. We'll leave that aside, the charge of, of, of that being unhelpful. But I, I do think I do think that there is warrant in saying that, that one of the things that the Trinity, doctrine of the Trinity does is to say that there is fellowship mm -hmm. and communion. What moderns call community, mm -hmm. right? Which, yep. which, which is the word fellowship, which mm -hmm. is the word koinonia mm -hmm. in the New Testament, although I'm not always persuaded that when I hear the word community, that's what they mean by that. But, mm -hmm. But God exists in koinonia, mm. within himself. Mm. There is a, a mutual fellowship, a dance of, of the Trinity. Mm. And that man is created to reflect that fellowship. Mm. So part of the Imago Dei, um, it is not good for man to be alone. Mm. So you as a counselor, pastor, mm -hmm. Deal with the effects of the loss of community, or the loss of fellowship, or mm -hmm. the loss of companionship, mm -hmm. the loss of a dance, mm -hmm. a rhythm mm -hmm. in people's lives, uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. Because I think we we were created, and and if we are called, say, to be single, that has to be a gift that's given, mm. uh, a, a, often a burdensome gift. Mm. Um, but that's not how God intends us to be. Mm. He, he, either in marriage or in community in the church, in the, in the, in the fellowship mm -hmm. of the church. Mm -hmm.
So, so counseling deals with the effects of sin on the disharmony and mm. dysfunction mm-hmm. that comes into that broken fellowship. You know, actually, this is one of those things that I see quite frequently in counseling rooms where people are on an island. They go to work. They really don't know anyone at work or have any substantial fellowship or community with anybody at work. They come home. They put on their televisions. They go to bed, rinse and repeat. No one knows them. No one is bearing their burdens, um, Galatians 6.2, and they're not bearing anybody else's burdens. And there's uh, a saying, even in completely secular realms, so that they don't have any categories for this sort of fellowship that is uh, divinely um, uh, instituted. And, and they will say, find me a friend and I'll show you a positive outcome. Right. In other words, it's so popular for people who show up in counseling settings to be isolated and alone that one of the first things you want to do is you want to connect them with people. And people don't have good skills and tools anymore about how to discern and how to make friends and how to make connections. I don't, I don't know if this is sociologically new. Um, with how mobile our society is and with things like um, social media where you really can be virtually alone but uh, or, or actually alone but feel virtually connected but but you're not you're not really connected to those people they don't really know how you're doing they can't really see the pain on your face they can't really check in not not that social media is evil it just um, glosses over the need that we have for genuine community and, and connection. So I don't know if this is if this is sociologically the moment we're in now that people experience this and um, uh, are frustrated by this more than they used to be, where communities may have been tighter. But I do know, without sounding too alarmist, it, it's almost at an epidemic portion where people aren't plugged in and don't have communities. And so sitting down with them and talking about uh, different ways in which they can plug into community here at church uh, with their neighbors. I mean, how, how are you supposed to display the gospel and be evangelical and witness if, if you don't know your neighbors, if you don't know your coworkers, if, if they can't see and hear something of Christ in you and your life, how are they supposed to know that you're not just a really ethical humanist at that point? Um, so, so we talk about how to be discerning and how to put oneself out there, uh, how to try and make bids for connection and receive them and, and not overwhelm somebody. It, that, that happens all the time too, where, uh, people finally decide, you know what, I'm going to try and make a friend and they just dump everything on that person and it freaks them out and they run away. Um, and, and, you know, we have this, every church has this where, um, you get somebody who, in a, in a larger group setting decides I'm going to be really vulnerable and I'm going to talk about all of this stuff I'm struggling with in an effort to make community. And all they do is, is push people away. It freaks them out. And then they feel even more lonely and they go and they isolate themselves even more. Well, okay. That, that, that's not the best option here. Um, so let's talk about appropriate ways that you establish kind of tiers of connectionalism and community. People who know you and you have something in common with versus people who really have an understanding of what you're struggling with 
can pray for you, check in with you. They know you well enough that if you haven't texted with them in a day or two, they're going to check in and make sure that you're okay. Um, so I, I think this sort of idea of community is incredibly essential for people, um, not just for their psychological health, but for their spiritual health, because that's how we've been designed to be. And we've got to be incredibly intentional, especially in this cultural moment, about actually making those connections. And all that's from the Doctrine of the Trinity. All that from the Doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, one, one more question. We're going to pick up our um, orthodox or not statement here. Um, when it comes to the Trinity, I remember hearing as a probably nominal Christian who went to church every once in a while and had nominal Christian friends, that when you would ask a specific difficult question about, you know, is God here in this moment? And was it, was it his providence or, or, and I wouldn't have had the word providence, but was it his will maybe that this would happen? People would use this um, statement, God works in mysterious ways. And, and then that would be the end of it. So is that statement, God works in mysterious ways, is that orthodox? Well, it's the land of a hymn. Of course it's orthodox. <laughs> God, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Blind unbelief is sure to err and... Scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. I've missed mm. a few verses out of it. William Cooper's great uh, hymn. Yeah, so in that sense, yeah. for sure, there is a mystery to God's providence. Um, I suspect that in the example that you're using it, it, it is an excuse for not trying to discern um, what... God's will may be in a certain, in a certain situation. Well, and I, I think they would use it to cover up their own ignorance. Seems like a strong word, but but probably ignorance about who God is. That he they didn't have categories for these attributes. And when you would want to ask, who is this God? Who is it that I should be worshiping? There, there was literally a church right down the road called the Happy Church. They were really interested in one experience, which was this positive, affectional experience with you and God. But if you began to ask and push, well, how, how do these things come together? The answer was always, God works in mysterious ways. You know, there is a limit to our exploration of God, how we talk about him. I, I do think that we should talk about him to the extent that he has revealed himself and and he has revealed himself as both three and one. Mm. So I do I do think that the doctrine of the Trinity is a, a, a worshipful response to try and understand a little more of how God is in himself. Now, do I understand three in oneness? No, of course not. Um, you know, so so there is mystery. There are boundaries. There there is what Paul says at Romans 11, oh, the depths, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, his ways are past finding out. Mm. Um, but, but you know, don't give up too soon. I, I do do find, and actually I, I found when I taught on the Trinity a few weeks ago, mm. that that even, 
even Christians who are well taught, as many of ours are, um, not because of anything I've done, but but, but, but what previous ministers did, right. um, do give up on the Trinity very quickly. Hmm. It was interesting that last night when I was actually talking about the decree, which is in many ways an even or as difficult a topic, mm. that there wasn't quite the same willingness to give up. There were lots of questions and, and people wanted to actually go further than I was prepared to go mm. last night. Uh, but that was not the case in the Doctrine of the Trinity. And I don't know whether that's a kind of evangelical spiritual response to we're talking about God so right. we need to sort of back off here fear of l- lapsing into something heretical yes or or that that God is holy and therefore we shouldn't ask certain questions of him right but you know whatever the scripture says and, and of course what Trinity isn't in the scripture but, but that God is that there's only one God and there's more than one who is that one God mm. certainly in Scripture. Mm. Thank you, Derek. Thank you for taking the time. And then next time we'll get together, we'll talk about the decree of God. Thank you guys for listening. You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage at firstpreskolumbia.org forward slash 1a that's firstpreskolumbia.org forward slash 1a you can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications such as itunes soundcloud and stitcher if you like what you've heard then subscribe also don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well if you have comments questions or issues you'd like us to wrestle with contact us you can reach us at our email address which is 1a at firstpreskolumbia.org that's 1a at firstpreskolumbia.org or via our Twitter account, which is at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A Podcast. Or by phone, 803-281-1795. 803-281-1795. For Dr. Thomas, I'm Josh Squires. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.